chapter 5. My text for today is just verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. <clears throat> but I'm going to read the uh, entire description that the Lord gives of the Christian character, beginning with verse 2. Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. In my text for today. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I think that those seven characteristics are the description of Christian character. And then in verses 10 through 12, we have a description of the reaction that such a character is likely to get from the world. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Today I'm going to start off with giving you four examples of mercy from the Bible although one of them is an anti-example, an example of how not to behave, but four examples from the Bible. And then I will uh, seek to help you to understand what is merciful, what does it mean to be merciful. Thirdly, we'll ask, why is it that the merciful are blessed? And then fourthly, what are some characteristics of merciful people? And that would also serve as uh, goals toward which we ought to aspire so that we also might be merciful people. It is, uh, I think, a, a great incentive for us to try to understand what it means to be merciful and then to practice mercy to realize that it is only people who are merciful who are going to receive mercy from God. And so none of these attributes that Jesus describes are optional. Every Christian is meant to be this way. And uh, there is an, kind of an exclusive, uh, each, each one of these beatitudes could be followed up with, and they are the only ones who will. So for example, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and they are the only people who inherit the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, and they are the only people who will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, and they are the only people who will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled, and they are the only people who shall be filled with righteousness. And in my text for today, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy, and they are the only people who will receive mercy. And so if you want to receive mercy, you must be a merciful person. And as we'll see later on, it doesn't mean that you earn God's mercy by being merciful, but it does mean that everyone that God saves 
becomes a merciful person. No exceptions. Everyone that God saves becomes a merciful person. And they're the only people who will receive mercy still and in the future. But I want to start off with uh, several examples of mercy. And then we'll proceed to a definition of what it means to be merciful. But I, I think I'll refer back to these, these examples from the Bible. And one of them is the very famous story of a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And, and there were some thieves who attacked him. And they, they beat him up uh, until he was almost dead. In fact, they left him for dead. They took his possessions and in those days, clothes were very valuable, and so they not only took whatever money he had, they also took his clothes. And so here was this man. I don't, know if, I don't know if the thieves had just hit him with rocks and with their hands, or if they also had knives and spears, but here was this man. He obviously was really in bad shape, and he's lying beside the road. And uh, there was a, a holy man who came by, man who was a priest, an important person in the religion of Israel. And when he walks by, he sees this man, but he goes by on the other side. He keeps away from him. I don't know, he may have, he may have had an important appointment. For some reason or another, though, he stopped. Uh, he did not stop. And then there was another holy man who came by, a Levite, another important person in the religion of Israel. And when he saw the man, then he passed by on the other side of the road and left him there. But then there was a, a fellow who was from Samaria. And uh, Jesus is telling this story to a predominantly Jewish audience. And the Jews never liked Samaritans. I won't get into why they didn't like them, but there was deep dislike between the Samaritans and between the Jews. And so it was a surprising part of the story when Jesus said that this man from Samaria, when he saw the man, he had pity upon him, and then he stopped and he helped him. In those days, they didn't have camphophenique and triple antibiotic. They would uh, use uh, wine and oil for medicinal purposes, and so the Samaritan poured oil and wine on his wounds and bound them up as best they could, and then he took this wounded man and he put him on his own donkey. He took him to an inn and he gave the innkeeper the money that was necessary for him to stay there for a while. And he told the, inn, he told the innkeeper, if he incurs more debt, if he needs to stay here, let him stay here as long as he needs to. And if he runs up a bill, then I'll pay it when I come back. So that's my first example of mercy. He not only saw the man and felt sorry for him, he did something to help him. That's, that's an essential feature of mercy. Mercy is beyond mere pity. It is also doing something about the thing that has moved you to pity. Now, my second example ought to sound familiar to you because it is the story that I read for our second scripture reading. And this is an anti-example. This is how not to be. But let me remind you of the story that I hope, you, I hope you heard and listened to, but here it is again. There was a man who owed a certain king an enormous amount of money. 
Now, the amount of money is described in uh, monetary terms from the first century, but in our, in our language, it would be millions of dollars. He owed him a debt of millions of dollars. I don't know how the man uh, persuaded the master to lend him so much money. He may have had some kind of uh, investment venture that he said, this is a sure thing. I've got some ships. I've got a buddy who's got some ships that are going to go to India, and when they come back, we'll all be rich. But anyway, the, the master lent the servant the money, and then it all failed. The ships sank or whatever, whatever it was, it all failed. And so the master knew that he was never going to get his money back, but he had hopes of getting at least some of it back. And so he was going to resort to selling the man and his wife and his family into slavery. That was a, a, a primary way that people were introduced into being slaves in that day. Most slaves were either captured in war or they were uh, irretrievably in debt, and so they were sold as slaves, the money used to help defray the debt. And that was what was getting ready to happen. They were getting ready, the master was getting ready to sell this servant and his wife and his family and recoup at least a little bit of his money. But the servant fell down on his knees and he begged the master, please don't do it. Please don't. I, 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 somehow or another, I will pay you all. And there was virtually no hope of that. And so it wasn't because he thought that it was a good business venture, but because he had pity on him, the master forgave him all the debt. You don't owe me any of it. Just, really? Yeah, don't worry about it. It's done. Pass it on. A guy goes out, he's so ecstatic, but I could just imagine as he's walking down the marble steps of this great mansion, he sees some guy hurriedly walking by on the sidewalk. He's hurrying. The man is hurrying because he owes the guy coming down the steps ten lousy bucks. And he doesn't have it. But the guy says, hey, wait, hey, wait, wait. Hey, you owe me ten dollars. Pay up. Oh, you know, I, I, I'm going to get paid on Friday. I, I, I can give it to you then. I, I don't have it with me now. No, you, got, you have got to pay me. You've got to, please just be patient with me. And then, did you catch that part of the story? He began to choke him. So he puts his hands around the guy's neck. I can just see his bloodshot eyes and he's spitting, pay me what you owe me right now. And a policeman comes by and says, hey, what's going on here? This guy stole 10 bucks from me. Is that true? Well, no, no, he, he lent me the $10 and he said he would pay me back by today. He hasn't paid me, he stole it from me. All right, come along then. Policeman takes him off to jail. And then off in the bushes is a guy who's working on the flowers. And he sees what's happened. And he goes in and he tells the cook, Hey, you know what just happened? This just happened. And then they go in and they say to the master of the house, Didn't you just forgive so-and-so a kajillion dollars? Yeah, forgave him. Well, you know, he goes out. That's interesting. The Bible says it was one of his fellow servants. So it's somebody who's in the same house, probably, working in the same house. I said, well, you know, the guy who takes care of the horses? Yeah. Well, he went out there and he grabbed him by the throat and he, he had him thrown into jail. Why? Well, he owed him $10. 
Call him back in here. So the guy who had been forgiven a kajillion dollars comes back in, and the king says, I forgave you all that debt. I forgave it all. And then you go out, and you get a guy thrown into jail because he owes you 10 bucks? All right. Have we signed that document yet? No, sir, not signed yet. Tear it up. You still owe me all that money. And then Jesus says, this is the way my father will treat everyone who does not forgive his brother. Ouch. That was the second example. Now here's the third example. There was a man named Stephen who was being very powerfully used of God in the early church. And the religious leaders decided that he needed to die. And so they... They put him on trial, and they find him guilty of something, and they begin to kill him, and they decide that the way that they're going to kill him is by stoning him. Now, if you've grown up in church, you've heard about stoning your entire life, but have you ever thought about what it would be like to die by stoning? I mean, if you're throwing rocks the size of a baseball, it would still take a bunch of them before you finally died. Surely somebody partway through it would come up with a big rock and come close and hit you on the head. I don't know. Because if they're just throwing rocks at you, it would take a long time to die. Stephen was being stoned to death. And just before he died, he said, Lord, do not lay this sin to their account. Okay, that was my third example. And then the fourth example is when the Lord Jesus Christ was being crucified. And he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Now, those are four examples of mercy, one of them an anti-example. So let's proceed from there and see what is mercy. Well, I've already told you that mercy is pitying someone and then doing something about it. And there are two, there are two primary arenas where we are called upon to exercise mercy. One arena is in the arena of guilt. The second arena is in the arena of misery. So, uh, in, in the first case, someone has done something against you. This would be like when Jesus was being crucified, when Stephen was being stoned. Someone has done something against you. The man owes you $10 or whatever, and, and you decide that you are going to forgive that person. I'm going to forgive you of the bad thing that you did to me, of the bad thing that you did to my family. I'm going to show mercy to you, and I'm going to forgive you of your guilt. In the other arena where mercy is shown is when someone is, is miserable. Someone is miserable in their physical condition or someone is miserable in their mental state or someone is in a state of spiritual misery and you do what you can to relieve the mercy. Now this, this mercy that we show is not just a normal everyday kindness. None of these attributes that Jesus lists here, poverty of spirit, mournful, meek, hungry, and thirsty after righteousness, 
none of them can be explained by mere natural temperament. So there are, there are people in the world who uh, are generous with their money. They're not Christians, but they're generous with their money, and they contribute uh, to philanthropic causes that will help to alleviate disease or help to allevi alleviate hunger uh, or suffering in some way. It is not Christian people alone who are capable of helping people who are in misery. But Christian people, in the way that Jesus is describing it, Christian people do it for a particular reason. And that is because we ourselves have received mercy from God. It's one reason why I read the entire list of seven today, because I think that the order of them is important uh, throughout, but especially it's obviously important at this point. The, the beatitude that preceded this one was, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So this is a person who has really wanted something, righteousness, that he cannot supply for himself, and God has given it. And that changes his perspective on, on God, that changes his perspective on people. Uh, so that, for one thing, he is able to see why it is that people behave in the ways that they do. He is able to see a bigger picture. And he's able to see that there is a more significant problem th than this person's immediate obnoxiousness. He has a deeper problem than that. And so as this, as this virtue of being merciful seeps into our hearts, it changes us into a people whose first reaction is not anger, whose first reaction is not how dare you, but who begins to see things from a tower perspective, I'll explain that in just a minute, see things from a tower perspective of what makes people behave the way that they do. So the tower perspective gets you above things. If you're down on the ground, then you can't, you can't necessarily see how the traffic is moving, but if you're up in the tower, then you can see the system of it all and see how it all works and why this highway comes in here and so on if you're up in the tower. And when you receive mercy from God, it gives you a different perspective. It helps you to, to see things from a larger perspective that, on why people behave the way that they do. And one reason that you're able to see that is because you yourself have been like that. I myself have been like that. Unless you were saved very young, like when you were five or six years old, then you probably have memories of certain issues that you had and ways that you used to behave when people crossed you. And how that being saved gave you a different perspective on that. You, you surely never immediately gained victory over that, but you began to, so that that sin no longer held dominion over you in the way that it once did. And so a person who has been shown mercy gains a different perspective. And he does show mercy to others for the sake of God. So that's one thing that really sh that makes a difference between a, 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 an unsaved philanthropist and a Christian philanthropist. An unsaved philanthropist is doing what he is doing merely for the sake of humans. And that's good as far as it goes. 
But the person who is showing mercy in the way that Jesus describes it here is showing mercy because God has shown him mercy, and now he wants to be like God. I hope that you're seeing that uh, all of these Beatitudes don't describe someone who just behaves in a certain way. They describe someone who is a certain way. This Beatitude is not just blessed are those who sometimes show mercy. This Beatitude is blessed are the merciful. Your perspective has been changed. You have been changed into a merciful person. So... Showing mercy is uh, seeing a need. It may be a need of guilt, and you don't respond with a judgmental and a harsh attitude, but when that person comes and asks for forgiveness, then you readily forgive them because you yourself have been forgiven. Or you see that the need is not guilt, but the need is some kind of misery, physical or spiritual, And you do what you can to alleviate the misery of that condition. And there again, that's something that distinguishes Christian mercy from non-Christian mercy. We Christians see that there is a greater need than merely being fed, merely being clothed and housed. Those things are important. And wherever the Christian gospel goes, those things happen better. But the primary goal of Christianity is not just to make your life better on earth for a few years but to make your eternity happy as you're reconciled with God. And so that's another distinguishing characteristic of Christian mercy. So we've seen some examples of mercy. We've seen a brief definition of mercy and why it is that Christians are merciful. Now let's ask the question and answer, why are they blessed? Blessed means that they are, they are happy and approved in the sight of God. This, uh, this word could be translated happy, that it's translated blessed, and uh, that would not be wrong, but I don't think that it would quite capture the fullness of the idea that this is not just someone who is temporarily enjoying life, but this is someone who is in a position to eternally enjoy life. He is blessed. And so why is the person who is merciful blessed? The answer is they will receive mercy. The person who uh, has become merciful is someone who knows what it is to get down on his knees at least once in his life, clasp his hands together and say, I was wrong and I really need you to forgive me. And that's what we do before God. I was trying to think, uh, scan over the 63 years of my life I don't remember ever a time in my life when I got down on my knees and clasped my hands together and begged someone to show me mercy. Now, that's a real, that's a real testimony. I hope it's not a testimony to my stubbornness. I think that's a real testimony to God's goodness. I have never been starving to death and had to go to someone and say, please, I need some food. I've never been about to perish from... Uh, from exposure to the elements and knocked at someone's door and dropped down on my knees and said, please, I, I need a place. Can I at least sleep in your barn tonight? Uh, you know, praise God, most of us have never been in situations like that. But I think of, uh, I think of Adoniram Judson's wife, Ann Judson, when they were in Burma. Uh, Burma went to war against Britain 
And the Burmese thought that everyone who was white was English. And so they put Adoniram Judson in prison. And I'm telling you, it was, a, it was not a place where they were watching TV and lifting weights at break time. Uh, they, would, uh, they had his feet chained together, and at night they would put a hook on the chain and lift his uh, feet up off the floor so that only his shoulders were on the ground. And that's why they'd leave them all night. And uh, they didn't have a cafeteria where they fed the prisoners. If Adoniram Judson was going to eat, then his wife, Anne, had to find some food. And she couldn't receive any money. They, they, there was an embargo. They'd, they weren't letting things in and out of Burma. So she had no way of making money. And so she's got to beg for food so that she can feed Adoniram Judson. And then you ladies will feel this. She had a little baby had a little baby that she was nursing and her and she became so starving herself that she quit producing milk and this baby's starving they don't have baby food you can't go to you can't go to Walmart and buy baby food the baby is going to die and so here is Ann Judson going about the streets of a city in Burma begging women who were who were nursing Will you please nurse my baby? Will you please nurse my baby? Thank God most of us have not had to, to beg for food or for our family to be preserved in that way. But if you're a Christian, then there has been at least one time when you fell on your knees before God and you said, Oh God, I don't deserve it, but will you please save me? Will you please save me? I remember the day when I was 14 years old and I knelt down in the woods where I'd played all of my life up to that point and there was a stump of a tree there that I'd cut down when I was just a little boy and I knelt down by the stump of that tree and I said, God, I don't know if I'm saved or lost. If I'm saved, help me to live like it. If I'm lost, please save me. And so if you're a Christian, you've had a, you've had a time like that. It may not have been terribly dramatic, but there's been a time when you said, I need you to forgive me. I don't deserve it, but I need you to forgive me. Please forgive me. And then what you have discovered is that the Lord does forgive you. You may not have realized it right away, but as you came to understand the gospel, you came to understand, I'm saved because of what Jesus has done. In the story of Pilgrim's Progress, there's a man named Christian who has a great burden on his back. And that burden on his back represents the consciousness that he has of sin. And as he reads in the Bible, he realizes that he's going to hell. And a man named Evangelist sends him uh, to the wicked gate, which is a small gate inside a larger gate. And he says, there it will be told you what to do. And so Christian goes to the wicked gate, which represents Jesus Christ. And there he is pulled in and he... He becomes a follower of Jesus at that point, but he still has the burden on his back. He still can't understand, how could God forgive me of all of my sin? He's still got the burden on his back. And he goes through the house of the interpreter, and he sees many wonderful things there, but when he leaves the house of the interpreter, he's still got the burden on his back. And then he comes to the cross. And there he sees the Lord Jesus on the cross. And as he sees Jesus on the cross, 
the burden falls off of his back. Why does it fall off then? He's been saved since he came through the wicked gate. What happens then? He then understands, I'm not saved because I have been a good man. I'm not saved because of any good works I've done. I'm saved because of what someone else has done for me. And because of that, the burden falls off of his back. Up to that point, he's been clothed in rags. And then there are three shining ones who come up to him and they dress him in bright new clothes. What does that represent? Well, then he understood imputed righteousness. He understood not only did Jesus die to take away my sins, but Jesus also lived to give me a perfect righteousness. I've got a new suit of clothes. Jesus made them. And when he understands that, his burden falls off. And, the Bible, and, and Bunyan says, it fell into an open sepulcher and he never saw it again. Understanding what Jesus... You see, if you have received mercy, then you have been in a position where you've been on your knees and said, I need something that I can't do. I need you to help me. I need mercy. And then God gives you mercy and you, and you get up a different person. You get up a person who has become merciful yourself. And being a merciful person is a great way to live. I mean, you're blessed just by being a merciful person. How much happier is a merciful person than a grumpy, judgmental person? An insensitive person. How much happier is it to show mercy? To always be trying to think the best. And then when someone apologizes that you don't think, well, you didn't do that just quite right. Or, I don't know, you've been insincere before. I don't know that I can trust you. Just how much better is it to be taken advantage of every once in a while and be merciful than to be judgmental and harsh and cruel and never be taken advantage of? But boy, they sure didn't pull one over on me. Well, yeah, but your whole life has been a big waste being mad all the time, and somebody's always hurting your feelings, and someone has always done something that they ought not to have done, or they failed to do what was coming to you. That's a miserable way to live. How much better is it to say, thank you, God. I want to be like you. I want to be merciful. I just want to show as much mercy as I possibly can. That person is blessed. But then that person is also blessed, not just because it's a better way to live. That person is blessed because, well, the Bible says he will receive mercy. Now, as I said earlier, this doesn't mean that you earn God's forgiveness by being merciful, but it does show this. If you're not merciful, you yourself have never received saving mercy because saving mercy turns you into a merciful person. And you'll receive mercy now. And you'll receive mercy later when you need it. And you will need it. And I will need it. And then on that day when the world lies in white smoking ashes and, and the nations are gathered before Jesus, you will be glad on that day for the mercy that he alone can give. And so the merciful are blessed for they shall obtain mercy. Now finally, let's... let's Let's land this plane by asking, what are the characteristics of people who are merciful? 
Now, first of all, there are a couple of dangers. Before I get to positive, there are a couple of things I need to warn you against. Merciful does not mean that nobody ever does anything wrong. Uh, there, are some, there are some presentations of Jesus that are quite popular these days that seem to give the impression that Jesus just never disapproved of anyone and that all he did was wash people's feet and all he did was just love people and he never ever disapproved of anyone. And that is just not the Jesus of the Bible. When we're thinking about mercy, we've got to remember that God is merciful and God does not overlook sin. God says that sin must be, must be paid for. He doesn't forgive you just because he's nice and sees that you're sorry. I mean, let me give you a little scenario and see how you do with this. Don't answer this question out loud. This is just to help you think. Let's suppose that the devil was really sad about all the things that he'd done. You won't have to use your imagination here. Let's suppose that the devil was really sad for all the wrong things that he's done, and he comes before God and he says, Wow, I, I messed up. I, I've, I see it. I've really messed up. I'm so sorry. I should never have rebelled against you. I'm so, will you please forgive me? I'm sorry. And he really is. He's really sorry. Based on what we know about God from the Bible, would God forgive him? And there are some people who would eagerly say, Well, yeah, God just forgives people who are really sorry. Ah, that's the wrong answer. From the Bible, the answer is no. He would not forgive him. Well, why not? Because no one has died to pay for the devil's sins. God doesn't forgive people because he's just nice. God doesn't forgive people because people are really sad about their sin. He forgives people because they have made a covenant with him through Jesus Christ who paid for sin. And so... God doesn't overlook sin, and we also mustn't say, well, now, I, I know that what you're doing is wicked, but I want to be merciful, and so I'm just going to pretend like it's not wicked. No. Now, maybe the most merciful thing to do is to rebuke someone strongly and say, honey, I love you, but you can't live that way in our house. And if that means... If that means that we've got to part company, I just want you to know I love God more than I love you, but I will love you forever. But I'm not going to pretend like this is okay. That's merciful right there. You're concerned about someone's not just immediate welfare, but their eternal welfare. And, uh, and so merciful is not pretending like sin is not bad. And that sin doesn't happen. Here's the second danger I need to warn you against. There's a danger that you will think of mercy, opportunities for mercy, as opportunities that occur only occasionally and in extraordinary circumstances. I mean, you might, might maybe you think, well, I, maybe when I go to uh, a foreign country and I see someone who's begging and he doesn't have any legs, then I'll show mercy. Uh, but I don't really have any opportunities to show mercy in my everyday life. Yes, you do. You have opportunities every single day. Every single day, there are opportunities for you to think about someone else and how you can make their life easier, how you can relieve them of some burden that they're carrying. And if everything is great in your house... 
then just look outside your house a little bit. And there are ways. I just think about the, the acts of mercy that go on in this church. You know, there are people who are keeping the nursery right now. What, a, what an act of mercy that is so that you mothers who have little kids in the nursery can sit here in church and can, li- and can listen to this sermon. There are people who are sacrificing. They're showing mercy, taking care of, of our babies in the nursery so that we can worship the Lord. You know, several years ago, our hearts were broken when Dodd and Tanya's precious daughter went home to be with the Lord. And that was a, that was a heart-rending event in the life of our church. But then what comes out of it is Dodd and Tanya say, there are people who are aching like we are aching, and we need to do something about it. And so they started the grief share ministry, and thank God there are others who have joined that team who feel the same way. There are people who are hurting, and they don't know where to turn. They don't know what to do. And we can turn them to Jesus Christ. And I I look around this room, and I can see two or three people who are here because of this mercy ministry that that is going on. Somebody... Somebody moves to Louisville, you don't even know them. 30 people show up to help them unload the truck. Don and Sherry Blanford are here today because at a funeral, there was a meal that was provided here at Bullet Lick Baptist Church because mostly you ladies, there may have been a few men involved, but it's mostly you ladies who say, we want to help these people in their time of sadness. And Don and Sherry, after they came here and ate that meal, they said, this is our church. And they've been here ever since. That's a result of mercy. There's mercy going on all the time in, in, the, in the body of Christ. And there are ways that you can just show mercy all the time. So don't make the mistake of thinking that mercy is something that is demonstrated only when you go to a foreign country and you see a beggar who doesn't have any legs. There are opportunities for showing mercy everywhere. And if you don't know what they are, pray and ask the Lord to open your eyes. Help me to show mercy. Help me to be merciful. Now here, that's negatively. So positively, here are some characteristics of people who are merciful. Number one, they remember what it was like to be in the same position. So that's the case, like with Dodd and Tanya. They remember what it's like to lose somebody that you love and the emptiness and the ache that you feel. And that remembrance has prompted them to be merciful now. And the rest of you who, are, who serve on the, on the Grief Share team and in other ways help with that ministry. Merciful people remember. But you need not always have personally experienced in, uh, the misery in order to see that that misery needs to be relieved. And so the second thing is, merciful people are imaginative. I am able to put myself in the position of someone who's going through something, and I ask, how would I feel if I were that way? How would I feel if I were in that position? Is there anything that I can do to help relieve that? And then, uh, merciful people, they, they remember. Merciful people imagine Merciful people also see the big picture and remember why it is that people are behaving the way that they are so that our initial reaction is no longer anger and resentment, but instead pity. Now, that is a, that's a life-changing perspective right there. If someone is acting ugly towards you, 
I know it hurts. I know it's often unreasonable. But would it be better if your first reaction was pity? There but for the grace of God go I. I remember when I was like that. I remember when, when, when that was my perspective on things. Merciful people are often called upon to see the big picture and remember why they behave that way. But what a blessing it is to be a merciful person. And none of us is perfect at it, but may the Lord help us all to, to be like the Lord and to show mercy. Jim Bob, come and lead us in a concluding hymn.